everyone and welcome along to your live Sunday night edition of the TII podcast. My name is Craig Dennett and I am joined by Kai Watson tonight on what is a historic day for football as former Rangers target Lionel Messi led Argentina to World Cup glory in Qatar. Kai, how are you doing? Um, very well, thanks Craig. How are you? Yes, good, thank you. And it's uh, it was some game um, this afternoon in the World Cup final. So before we get talking about Rangers, let's touch on that. Um, just give us your thoughts on what was a, what was an eventful World Cup final between Argentina and France. Um, I certainly thought Argentina were were coasting their way to it, but it didn't quite work out that way. No, I feel like until until France got the penalty, it was pretty much all Argentina. I don't think France looked. Very threatening. I know there's obviously been the talk of the virus that's kind of went around their camp, and it they looked like the players were a bit sluggish. It didn't look like a group of players playing a World Cup final. There was just no energy, no creativity, no anything until, I mean, it's the daft penalty to give away when you look at it, and it brings France back into the game. And then the second one's a really well worked goal. And then I thought for the rest of normal time, it looked like France were the team in the ascendancy that they were going to get the winner and then obviously extra time came and I think that was again a bit sluggish thought Argentina kind of come back into it but I think on the whole you kind of need to look at Argentina deserved it and obviously Messi deserves his shot at glory it's what he's what he was kind of waiting for so happy for him that he's got it yeah absolutely I'm the same I'm a huge fan of Lionel Messi and I was delighted to see him um, I suppose get get the crowning glory of his career, I guess, and in, in the form of the World Cup. Um, obviously, it was taking place at, in Qatar. It was a weird time of year. How did you feel about um, the tournament as a whole? Were you were you happy with with it with it, the time of year it's been? And actually, it finishing a week until Christmas Day, it's actually worked out quite well. I think kind of the way the way it was set up, I kind of wasn't that excited for it starting. It just felt. A little bit weird, a bit odd, kind of being the time of year. It's obviously really interrupted the season at quite a good time for Rangers, to be honest. Like it worked out quite well for us that way, but it just, I don't know, just didn't really sit right from the start. But then there was um, some decent games at the start, but I thought it kind of started really slowly. And then you obviously had the shocks of kind of Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, Japan looked unreal in the group stages, just a really good side and then obviously Morocco as well that's the kind of stuff that kind of makes the tournament for me, like I think Morocco are kind of the feel good story of the obviously making history and the African side making the semi-final, like I think that the midfield that they had, I thought they were one of the better sides to actually watch, as much as they weren't kind of the whole attacking player side of things, like just watching a well-organised side sometimes is just really nice in that midfield Again, I thought, <coughs> excuse me, I thought they were all really impressive. And I think when you look at the final, I didn't think every game obviously wasn't amazing, but the final to kind of end it will make it one that kind of people will remember. Yeah, absolutely. So that's World Cup done and dusted for I think it's three and a half years until USA, Mexico, Canada. So World Cup done and dusted. Rangers were back in action on Wednesday night. I mean, why talk about Messi versus Mbappe when you can talk about a central defensive partnership with James Sands and John Lundstrom um, that we were all treated to on Thursday night? A few few days have now passed since um, since the game against Hibs, the 3-2 win, obviously. If you go, what is, what's your overall sort of reflections on that game? Obviously, delighted to get to come out with the three points, but... Quite a lot went on uh, in those 90 minutes. What are your overall reflections a few days on? I think that game was the old cliche, like a game of two halves. Like I thought Rangers really weren't at it the first half. It looked like Hibs wanted it more. It just looked like pretty much, obviously the shape was a bit different, but it kind of looked like the exact same Rangers side that we've been moaned for the last kind of few weeks of the last games that were played. And then the second half, obviously, Michael Beals came out and he said, just like play the football that you want to play, play the football that we've practised over the last week or a couple of weeks. And then there was a completely different side the second half. You could see hunger, you could see desire, you could see kind of intricate playing. I thought the way kind of Kent conducts himself in that position is probably one of the better games I've seen him play recently. And then 
obviously bits bits of magic from Tillman just kind of said it over the edge. I thought obviously because I went on to win that game by more, and I thought the second half was really encouraging, especially compared to that flat first half, and it just shows the difference that obviously Beal's made since coming in, and the fact that I thought it was really encouraging, the fact he's obviously been able to go in and have that kind of half-time team talk. Because I feel like under Gio, after getting after that first half, I don't think there would have been a lot of people that were positive about his getting it up, but the fact that Beal's shown within his first game that he can go and deliver a team talk that's good enough for the team to go and completely turn it around and then come away with a performance. The majority of fans are like, well, that's a really encouraging second half. Like, if we can play like that the rest of the season, then, like, we are going to win most of our games. We're obviously still relying on Celtic dropping points, but if we can keep playing like that, we'll keep winning games and that'll just roll into next season. And I think the signs were positive. Yeah, absolutely. Broxy the Bear agrees with you. He says, we were poor the first half, then we'll put a rock up their arse uh, the second half. And I think that was that was quite obvious to see. Um, I think from my... Um, so I was sitting up in the club deck on Thursday night and I did the post-match reaction as well. I think it was blatantly obvious the changes that Michael Beale had made to the team, even just from a, a tempo, from an, an attacking perspective. I thought we were it was night and day from what we were seeing under Giovanni van Bronckhorst. Um, I think um, in terms of the performance itself, I think the freedom of movement some of the attacking players now have in terms of their positioning will really help us, especially when we're coming up against teams that play that sort of low block against us. Um, I think as we saw with like said, Ryan Kent and Malik Tillman and just their movement around the edge of the box, their willingness to run beyond the strikers and play in between the lines was, was refreshing to see. It, it did kind of hark back to um, to what it was like under Steven Gerrard but a wee, it did seem a wee bit different at the same time, it felt a bit quicker and a bit more inventive and a bit more allowing players to take the, the responsibility to um, to show their talent effectively and make decisions on the pitch and to, to play with a bit of freedom and I think I think that is um, I think that's only positive and if we can continue to see that while shoring up our defence Somehow, with some actual central defenders, um, that'll be that'll be a, a really positive. Was there anything major that you think we learned from Michael Beale's first competitive game? Um, was there anything that stood out to you from that performance? I th- think based off the first half, obviously, it's just it's going to take a bit of time. Like obviously, yes, Michael Beale, we might not admit it, but that's obviously not the ideal first eleven that he wants to put out. I'd- don't know what it is at that point. I don't Michael Beale knows. There's obviously players coming back. There's players still out that we don't know when they'll be back. So I think you just kind of look at, like I said, it's encouraging that the first half was that poor, but then the second half was that good. Like there was so many positives in the second half. Like I thought the pressing was great. We just seen some of that hunger and desire I felt was missing before. So it was good to see that it is still there in the players. I'm not obviously fully blaming Geo. Like I think there was points the players weren't playing for him, but it was encouraging to see that they're obviously willing to do that for Bill, whether it be from whatever Bill said or if it's just kind of taking that upon themselves now to can actually take the responsibility to like we need to up this level because there was games obviously Priestley and Geo was still there that it just didn't look like we could go up that level. And I don't even think by the end of the game I would say that Rangers had reached kind of top gear I think there was still left to go in that game and I thought towards then we just kind of controlled it quite well and I think again that's encouraging to think that when it's the team that Beal actually wants to put on the park like how good the performance can be if that's like a makeshift central defensive pairing like you'd imagine Lundstrom maybe steps into the midfield and that obviously might change things in front of him like Cholak was also obviously so it'd be good to see kind of what like a, get a greater understanding of what his ideal 11 would be. And I think it's encouraging that we played that well, obviously with a pretty makeshift side and a backup right-back playing left-back. I think if you can give that kind of performance, especially for the second half, then it's... I wasn't 100% on board. Obviously, Beal spoke a really good game, so it was always going to be interesting to see if they could put it into practice. And I think there was a few kind of nerves after the first half that it was just all going to be top. But I think he proved... The same half that what he's been working on in training is really working and that uh, it can be built upon and I think it's just encouraging going forward. Yeah, 
We've got a comment from Dougie here saying um, it's going to take Bill time, big improvements already, but we'll get better too. He also says that um, Connor, same as Connor Goldson, can't come uh, soon enough coming back. Defence was all sixes and sevens. Um, Kai, you spoke about you're not sure what Michael Beale's first choice 11 will be in terms of that central defensive partnership. Do you see Connor Goldson on the right hand side and Ben Davies on the left hand side as the as the first choice central defensive partnership for everyone's fit? I think that's how it would be for me. I think even under Geo, I think it's just a really nice balance. Obviously, Goldson brings the kind of long raking pass that he has into the game. And I think Davis is also capable of that on his left foot. So it gives you the option to kind of switch the play at both sides. Whereas I felt like sometimes with whoever was kind of partnered with Goldson, it was only coming from Goldson's side. It was only unless it was Lindstrom kind of taking the ball deep. Like there wasn't the option to play that kind of defence split and pass over the top towards the right-hand side. It was only ever coming like towards Rangers left. So I think Davis adds that real balance. And I think he is a really quality defender, especially considering even before the injuries, like he hadn't played much football. Like it was obviously there at Preston and then went to Liverpool. Didn't really, I don't know if he played kind of reserve team football, but I know he didn't get, I don't think any first team appearances for Liverpool actually. So the fact that he could come in and just immediately look that good, like once he's back from his injury, once he's fully fit and fully up to speed, I think he's definitely who I would partner next to Conor Goldson. Yeah, I think so. And I think it'll be, um, we'll have our preview podcast for the Aberdeen game um, tomorrow night on uh, Monday with our Monday bulletin. But I think I would expect probably Ben Davies to come into the centre-half partnership um, on Tuesday, potentially beside Leon King if Leon King's over his, his sickness bug. Um, I think in terms of what I th- I learned or what I, I thought was interesting from Thursday night was actually some of the players who were really struggling for form under Giovanni Van Bronckhorst almost instantly. It was like flicking a light switch, just instantly felt more comfortable in Michael Beale's system. Talking the likes of Glenn Kamara, Ryan Kent and Alfredo Morelos all putting um, and performances that were night and day compared to what they were putting under and under Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. Um, I think a few, obviously, Ryan Kent and Alfredo Morelos' contract situation has been discussed quite a bit, and I'll get your thoughts on that um, shortly, Kai. Um, Glenn Kamara is an interesting one because, obviously, there was um, supposed to be the, the late bid from Nice, I think it was, in the summer transfer window that, that didn't get over the line. Um, and then... We're expecting more interest again in him in January. It'll be interesting to see how that sits because he's a player that Michael B. obviously is a fan of and likes. Um, but also, Kai, I'm interested in your thoughts. We know there needs to be an overhaul of this of this squad. We're stuck with a, a core of a squad, I guess, that is um, that has been the same for three, four plus years now. And we do need we're at that stage where we do need to to refresh some of these guys and. I thought we started to do a bits and pieces of that in the summer, but it's not something you're going to achieve over over just one transfer window. Does guys like Kamara, Kent, Morelos coming back to form obviously helps us in the short term, but in terms of achieving that squad overhaul and in terms of decision-making of whether we should keep them or sell them, does that actually create a bit of a, an issue or a dilemma for us in that decision-making process? I think it definitely makes it more difficult for Michael Beale because I'm sure when he was agreeing kind of the deal with the club and when he was they knew he was going to come in, he had an idea in his head of what he was going to do and whether I know he obviously has a really good relationship with Ryan Kent, but like you don't know kind of what his thoughts were coming in, but the kind of up in the level of the performance for Morelos and Kent, it's on. I think you need to kind of take it if they're not going to sign a new deal. It depends whether you try and get something now or you wait to the summer and hope they sign a new deal kind of along the lines of what happened with Golson last season. But then I think the Camaro ones, I think the Camaro ones actually probably the most difficult decision because, like you said, he looked a lot more comfortable in the system and on his day, like he's absolutely unplayable. Like no one can get the ball off him. He makes smart passes. He sees things that other players don't see. He just obviously didn't really fit in the Geo system, but on his days, a player that can make Rangers a lot of money. Obviously, the rumoured figures, are, I think it was six million, was yeah. kind of quoted in 
in the papers at least. So it's do you take that money now for Kamara? Do you wait six months? Does he do you wait for kinda hoping those performance levels keep going and then you could get more money in the summer? I think that's probably the most tricky one, because if you're going to sell Kent Morelos in January, it's obviously going to be a cut fee. You're not going to get kind of the money Rangers with the hope when they come in and when they were at the peak of their performance. So that's I think has to be taken on a case by case basis. It depends what Beals caught in mind. I know he, there was a statement he said that he hadn't actually looked at any targets yet. But then again, the rumours have come through about kind of Nicholas. Raskin and the fact that he's been like demoted to the under 21s and he was rumoured to be the Kamara replacement in the summer and the reason well it was quoted that the reason he didn't come in is because Kamara wasn't sold pretty much but I think at the time in the summer it was maybe closer to 10-12 million for Kamara so the price obviously based on performance and the lack of game time he's got is now half so do you give him six months hope those performances go back up to what he's capable of and then try and get the 10, 12 million again. But then how does that impact bringing in a player like Raskin whose contract's up in the summer? He's like a Belgian under-21 international, he'll be a highly sought-after player. If you leave that any longer, you might miss out on him. And then there's obviously the deals like Ryan Jack and Arfield, like how do they fit in? I think it's a really difficult window for Michael Beal. He's got a lot of decisions to make in a short period of time because if you're going to kind of make the most of those players that are not going to sign contracts you need to get money for them now but then you also have to replace them and if he's not if they've not spoken about any targets yet I think that's obviously something that's going to be on the radar and something they're going to be looking at soon but I do think he's got a lot of difficult decisions to make especially just being at the start of his tenure as Rangers manager so I think it's going to be the most interesting couple of windows that we've had in a while because as much as we would like to see a rebuild you just you don't know how much is possible and you don't know kind of what's in the manager's head at this point. Yeah, Paul McGarrigo here um it's kind of aligned with what you are you are saying, Kai, in terms of he thinks Kamara will be sold and Raskin brought in. I believe if I remember correctly, Raskin's out of contract this summer, so there's a potential for a pre contract um in January. I saw the report that you mentioned around them being shifted to the under twenty ones for standard wage. Um, which kind of suggests he's available for a very, very cut price fee in January. So I think what we saw with Stephen Gerrard and Michael Beal beforehand was that if guys were available on pre-contracts or guys were available at cut price in January, they'd prefer to get them in in the January and almost give them four or five months to, to settle in so they can hit the ground running in the summer. I think, like you say, I think Glenn Kamara is the most interesting one because... In the summer, I kind of felt like he'd reached the end of his cycle with Rangers. Um, I think that I think I felt like my view was vindicated in the first few months of the season. But then you you still see him put in performances like he did on Thursday night, and you think actually he's a, he could be a really useful player for us if we if we utilise him right. And it's you start to think is it is it too early to get rid of him? Should we be trying to keep a hold of him? Um, do you think it's kind of end of cycle and at least by the end of this season, we'll see Glenn Kamara depart from Rangers, or do you, do you think there could be value in, in keeping a hold of him for longer than that? I think, like, I fully agree on, like, I probably would have sold him in the summer, especially if the, I'm sure the figures bounce between, like, kind of 8, 10, I think the highest that was kind of floating around the papers was 12 million. I think when you buy a player for 50k, like you said, obviously, Gerald liked to get the pre-contract signed, but also like to bring in the players early. And I think like the 50k for Glenn Kamara is probably one of the biggest bargains that the club's potentially done in recent years transfer-wise. But again, you look at six million, you look at the kind of profit on that. We've obviously been in the situation now with Kent and Morelos where we've not sold players at the kind of height of their value. So again, is it a risk? Does if you keep them until the summer, if his performances don't kind of keep up to the level of the game against Hibs, then maybe his value doesn't go up. Maybe you're looking at less again because the values already came down from what was reported in the summer. So I, I genuinely do think the hardest decision, transfer-wise, Bill's got, especially for giving Rangers that bit more money to spend and bringing that bit more money in. If you're obviously looking at 
Ross Wilson talks about kind of the player trading model and how we're trying to implement that to bring more money in. So do you gamble on, do you take the six million or do you gamble and hope that his performances get back up to the level they were at before and hopefully get 10, 12 million in the summer? Personally, it's difficult. After before the Hibs game, I would have said sell, like take take the six million, bring in, bring in Raskin for free. It's it's obviously still a risk. Like I've not personally seen Raskin. I don't know the type of player he is. But if you're playing kind of under twenty one football for Belgium, then you're probably a pretty decent player. He's obviously been looked at by previous managers and Ross Wilson's a big fan. That's not always panned out the best. And again, it's a transfer coming from Belgium, but I think it's definitely kind of worth the risk. But then what happens with the rest of your central midfielders? Or do you get the pre-contract for Raskin? Do you bring him in early? I think I think we can get more than six million for Kamara. I think he's definitely worth more than that. I think closer to eight, ten million, I think I'd probably bite your hand off it for in January. Because I think we should have taken it in the summer when it was offered. So I think if that kind of money is offered, I would take it. Otherwise, if it's as low as six million, despite despite the profit, you can see in European games and games he's at the kind of peak of his powers. That he's the type of player that's going to go to if he goes to like Spain or Italy, and then they'll see in six months or in a year that it'd be worth kind of double the value that he has at Rangers. It just doesn't really suit the Scottish game every single week. But I think when he's on form, you can see he's definitely worth more than six million. I think six. Millions of fee that Rangers might regret, but if it goes up towards eight, ten, I think I'd be very tempted to take it. And then if we've got a ready-made replacement in, in Raskin, who was supposed to be the replacement in the summer, especially on a free or a very low fee at the age he's at and the kind of stage his career, I think that could be worth the risk. Yeah, I think Glenn Kamara's value to us is really shown in games against Celtic and games in Europe, and I think no more so than last season in that Europa League run. Um, was Glenn Kamara's value to us really shown? And I think, like you say, it's a fair point. He um, he struggles sometimes with the Scottish domestic games and he, he struggles to, to really make an impact on that because he almost has too much time on the ball. So he takes the time and he plays sometimes slows down or he, he, he sometimes gets a bit fancy. And um, I do, however, wish he would learn to shoot from the edge of the 18-yard box. I think that's the it's really the only bugbear I've got with Glenn Kamara, to be honest, is that I wish he would he would learn to shoot. Um, but apart from that, um, yeah, I think he's, he's a player of value to us and I think it's really important that we we replace his quality if he is going to leave. And like you, I think if we get to between 8 and £10 million pound plus a sell-on fee, a decent sell-on fee, I think you, you have to take it and wish him the very best of luck. I mean, especially considering we, we bought him for for 50k. I don't think you could ask any more from that. Um, RFC 56 coming in here saying, I like Kamara, I must be honest. Dougie coming back in saying, no room for sentimentality. It's a business. Time for many to move on, but needs done progressively. Um, coming on to that then, um, Alfredo Morelos and Ryan Kent, both uh, about to enter the last six months of their contract, can potentially sign pre-contract agreements elsewhere. Um, I understand from comments that Michael Beale has made and Ross Wilson's made that contract discussions are ongoing. Um, I think Alfred, there's some rumours going around around how much money Alfredo Morelos is is asking for. Um, and, is, and I think it's um, I think he would definitely become the highest paid player at the club if he was to get the money he wanted. And it's it's tough to um, it's tough from my point of view anyway, to see us offering him that, if we were to offer him that, just purely because of um, his contributions to the team over the last six to eight months, really, I think, um, since his injury um, last season and end of February, start of March. Um, when it was start of February, wasn't it, actually, when he came back from the Columbia training camp? Um, I think his contribution to Rangers has been very little since then and to for us to then up his money to being the, the highest paid player at the club would be difficult to justify, I think. Uh, RFC 56 said that uh, Chris Boyd said that we start raving mad to hand Morelos another contract. I agree, this is massive for Bill. Where do you fall down, first of all, on the Alfredo Morelos discussion, Kai? 
I mean, if I seen a few of the comments in the chat earlier, if the rumoured forty five k that he's demanding is on the table, then I definitely wouldn't touch him for that. I think it'd be it's a tough one because he's a different type of player to what we have. Like he's he's a good player to have, but again, you look his goal scoring record. I'm sure I'm right in saying he's never scored twenty goals in a season. There is, he obviously brings different things to his game that's not just the goal scoring. Obviously, we've seen the kind of goal scoring you can get from someone like Cholak when you have just a pure finisher. And again, that's that's a match winner right there. Morelos is a completely different game. I'd like to see play together before I make a decision. Like before before the other night, before the game against Hibs, like, I agree with what you're saying about the contribution has been very little. Like, he was good the other night. Was he great? I'd say probably not. I think it's just comparatively to the performances he'd put in beforehand, like he was a lot better, a lot more like his old self. But I think again he's had so many chances like the game the game against Hibbs, the daft sending off, like you just can't forget things like that. That's where points are lost. That's where leagues are lost. It's just the petulance has never went. It's maybe died down a bit and it's maybe only once or twice a season. That that's cost us points as much as we're nine points behind now. Like we weren't nine points behind then, and it's stuff like that. I just feels like it's unforgivable, and you don't get it from other. We don't get any other players to be honest on the park. We don't get that kind of attitude. And I feel like before before the Hibs game, he used to like walk around the park and throw his hands up, and he just he didn't look fit, didn't look interested. And the one the one decent performance against Hibs, I don't think changes that for me. I wouldn't. Give him a new deal, I'd like to get some money for him in January. I think ideally. But the only way the genuinely the only way I'd give him a contract is if I don't know exactly what he's on now, but it'd have to be quite a low wage for me to give him a new deal when if anyone's putting that contract on the table of forty five K, I think that's enough for someone to be sacked. I think someone's job needs to be looked at if they've looked at Morelos over the last six to eight months and think he's deserving of being the club's highest paid player. Yeah, I'd mentioned earlier on that I thought um, it might be difficult for us to kind of move on from the the kind of spine of the team or the core of the squad that have been around for the past three or four years. And I think Alfredo Morelos definitely um, falls into that category. I think ultimately we signed Alfredo Morelos for £1 million five years ago. And have we got value for money for that £1 million? Absolutely, we've got that. We've had value for money in spades well beyond the amount of money we paid um, to Helsinki for him. And I think if he was to leave for free, people go, oh, but you missed out on the um, £16 million that we offered or you missed out on the, the money that Porto were rumoured to be offering. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, but he was more valuable to us at that point in time than, than that money than that money um, would have given us. And he would have been probably more difficult to replace for that amount of money. I think now... I kind of disagree with you a bit, Kai. I think I would keep him to the end of the season, no matter what. I wouldn't try and chuck him out the door for five hundred k or something like that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't think we're at that stage with Alfredo Morelos, and he can probably he's probably more valuable to us at the moment than than five hundred k or seven hundred fifty k would be um, to us moving forward. But I think Alfredo Morelos's time at Rangers is probably coming to an end, if I'm being honest. And I think the last six to eight months has kind of shown why. That's coming to an end for me, from from my opinion anyway. And I, I don't doubt that he'll contribute goals going forward this season. I don't doubt that he will fit well with Michael Beale's system. I just think we need to to refresh, and I think we need we can't afford to go through three four months of next season waiting on Alfredo Morelos getting fit, or if he gets injured and then struggles to get back to fitness. From that side of things, I think it's it's time to say thank you, Alfredo, and and see you later. Um, I think the the difficulty might be in that front is actually that he might not have interest from that many clubs or at the level that he wants to that he wants to go to, um, and that might be where we we see him staying on similar terms that as to what he's got just now potentially for another couple of years. Um, but I can't like you say the forty five k. I can't see him. Um, I can't see him getting that either for us or elsewhere, as Dougie puts here. Uh, I can't see anyone really paying him that. Um, one player who I think 
it's more likely to sign a new deal as Ryan Kent, and I think uh, the the management change will play a large part in that. Um, what are your feelings on the Ryan Kent situation? I do actually feel it's quite different to to the Alfredo Morelos one. I think the issue fans have with Kent, like you say, is completely different to the Morelos one. It's not that Kent looks like he's disinterested or he's run fit. Like things haven't worked out for him. He's maybe not been as direct as we would like. He doesn't like you obviously said about you'd wish Kamara would shoot more. Like I also wish Kent would shoot more. Like he gets into great positions and he'll try and beat he'll try and beat a man. And I think can as fans we expect at this stage he's created when he's kind of hit in his prime that he would like his decision making would be better I think that's where the frustration comes from like all the abilities there it's just that kind of mental side of the game that he's not it's not maybe been polished as much as like we as fans would have liked especially when we paid the seven and a half million I'm sure it was for him like when you're paying that kind of money you think there's definitely potential there there's still there's still potential for him to be someone that gets like 10, 15 goals and like five to ten assists and you can't kinda of knock that contribution, especially at this level. So I'd definitely like yourself, I'd be more inclined to give Kent a new deal. Especially I think the relationship he has with Michael Bale will play well into that. And you can see when he was given that kind of free role against Hibbs that he just kinda of thrives in that situation. Like he plays well, especially I think him and Kamara's link up plays unplayable at times like I think they link really well together like the one touch the one touch passing between the two of them superb and I think when you bring players like Lawrence and hopefully Hadji when he comes back is the same with Tillman as well like those more creative players like seeing those players link up and hopefully bring like a number of goals Michael Beale's trying to bring into the side I think it's really exciting and really encouraging so assuming Kent like well I've not seen any rumours of Kent asking for ridiculous money but assuming it's a deal, maybe I'd I'd be happy up in his money slightly. Like I'm not going to be annoyed if they offer him a bit more than he's on now. They're not offering the exact same deal, but I'd definitely be more inclined to keep Ken. I think players like him don't come around all that often, especially coming through like obviously Liverpool youth system. And we've seen what he's capable of. Like he can be one of the best players in the league. I think you don't get you don't get players with that ability level very often, so if we can just get some consistency from him, I'll be happy with him getting a new deal. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of want to touch on, you kind of touched on it a wee bit around Kent, the sort of more free role that Kent had on Thursday night against Hibs. Um, Paul McGarrigal says with Kent under Geo, it doesn't help when the management team tell you to stop doing what you're good at. I did think he was probably one of the players that was most noticeable in how differently he was being asked to play or how differently he was given a role within the team that he could move around and he could kind of move where the space was and where he where he felt he could impact play best. I think under under Geo they were much more set in how they wanted the wider players to play and I felt that almost they were telling Kent and they were telling the the numerous different players that have played right wing for us over the last twelve months or so to almost stick to the touchline and don't come inside and don't don't move into the inside channel, just stick to the touchline. And that almost makes it easier for opposition to defend against. And I think that's where Kent um, ran ran into issues because he was already being targeted by opposition, especially domestically. Um, by them doubling or tripling up on him. And when you don't give him the freedom to move around and potentially create questions in the opposition's defence, defensive minds, um, and they, they know that, well, he's just going to stay out there wide. So we know as soon as the ball goes, two of us can go and which two can go and when we go and what the trigger points are and all that sort of stuff. If that's, I think that's kind of what he was asked to do under Geo and why his impact diminished quite significantly last season whereas I think if we if he keeps playing the role that he did on Thursday night and can move into those inside channels and and take the ball off off the midfield and lay it wide to the to the fullback whether that's it was Divine on um Thursday night I don't imagine Divine will be will be the first choice left back anytime soon so whether it's um Barisic when he comes back from the World Cup or you can actually see how how Yilmaz would benefit from that extra space and support down that left-hand side, um, especially with his his keenness to go forward, I guess, um, 
from that. So it'll be really interesting seeing Ryan Kent develop over the last over the next six months or so. I do think he is more likely to sign a, a new deal, but I also think he's more likely to have interest from outside uh, in him. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that balance plays out. Um, in terms of if either of them were to sign a pre-contract with another club in January, Kai, would you um, would you instantly drop them or would you keep playing them to the end of the deal? I think it depends. It depends on the situation. Like there's obviously going to be probably more so Morelos so kind of be a media circus around it because there always is when it comes to him. It just seems to attract that kind of negative media. It just depends how. As players, they kind of play it. Like if they're if they're open with the club, open with the fans. I think kind of similar to like the way kind of Ryan Portis has been at Hibs. Like he's obviously come out and spoke about, or the club have said he's not going to sign a new contract. He's kind of come out. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, and kind of gave reasons and spoke about. He obviously spoke about the Rangers rumours, but see if if they were open kind of that way with the club, and it wasn't like doing sneaky deals behind the club's back. Then I'm more than happy for to see their contract out as long as they're still contributing, as long as we can still see that builder here they want to play for the club. I think that's a big thing. I think if Morelos kind of signed a pre contract and went back to kind of the way he was before the break, then I'd happily like I'd be happy with Bill dropping him. But as long as they still show the desire to want to be here while they're under contract, then I don't see an issue. If they're not stopping someone's development, then I think you still play them as long as they contribute, especially when kind of the season's still going on, like this, the season's not over as grim as it's kind of looking right now, it's not over and you still you go for as long as you can and you just keep going and if they're still contributing then keep them in the team Yeah, I think the, the Connor Goldson template from last season is how you would ideally have a player if his contract's running down they would still to give still give that 100% effort time after time and put in play Put everything they've got out in the pitch effectively um, through throughout their, their contract running down. But I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few weeks. I think we'll see action one way or another in January, and hopefully it involves Ryan Kent signing another deal and let's kind of watch this space with Alfredo Morelos, one player who I guess his contract is starting to to run down and it opens up a. Another conversation around the other end of our squad, I guess, and the older age group and those that are more injury prone, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Ryan Jack was quoted in the Rangers Review Twitter feed earlier today saying uh, the following on a new contract. He said, I've been here five years and without a doubt I'm happy at the club. I'm settled and I love playing for the club, but it's one of those situations I've not had that conversation with anyone. What do you make of those comments from um, from Ryan Jack Kai? And uh, do you think he should be off the new contract? I think bearing in mind he's missed 125 games. I read earlier on that he's missed since he signed for the club five years ago. 125 games through injury. Does that injury side of things play into it, the, the decision making? And do you think he should be off the new contract? I think it was obviously read the comments earlier. I think it would be interesting to see, like, kind of how we put that across. Like, if it was a case of him being kind of like, if he was annoyed about the club not speaking to him, if he was just kind of like casual about it, like, oh, the club haven't spoken to me yet. I think that kind of plays a wee bit different. Like, I don't think Brian Jack as a player can be like surprised that the club haven't immediately offered him a new deal because, like you said, the fitness is a massive concern. Like, I do think he's a player that contributes a lot, he's high energy in the middle of the park, like you can see that he loves playing for Rangers, he'll be stuck into tackles, he puts himself about. I think on his day, that would, on his day and if he was fully fit and fully available, like 100% no doubt in my mind, give a contract especially, obviously there's been looked a lot at recently, kind of homegrown players and players Rangers might need to target because of Champions League restrictions and I think Kind of as the years go on, I actually think they're up in the restrictions for players that are trained in the country and trained at the club. So I think it might get to a point in a few years we're not asking the question about someone like Ryan Jack, do you need to give them a new contract? It's a case of there's a quota there, we're not currently meeting that quota, so we need to keep a certain level of player there. So I think 
in that sense, he's obviously good for the home aspect. But I think if he was fully fit and fully available, we wouldn't. That really wouldn't come into consideration. I think a fully fit Ryan Jack makes a lot of people's first eleven. If not, he's one of the first players off the bench. So if you could get a guarantee of consistency of fitness out of him, I'd definitely give him a new deal. But at this point, I think the player himself can't be surprised if it runs on into the summer and if it runs on to a lot closer to his contract ends. If he's availability, if he's available for the next five months, I'd be quite happy with the club giving him a new deal. If he's back any more injuries in that period of time, I think you can need to look at it more seriously about giving him a new deal and have to be a bit more cautious on it. Yeah, Kai, you mentioned the UEFA quota there. I read earlier on today that we are scraping by on that one, I think it's fair to say. Um, I currently have four Scottish-trained first-team players in the shape of Ryan Jack, Scott Arfield, uh, John Souter and Scott Wright. But, and we've only got two club-trained first-team members, which are Alan McGregor and Ross McCrory. Um, I think, obviously, um, Alex Lowry's coming through from the, the B team and we've got likes of Charlie McCann things like that as well they don't count currently because they're listed as B team players and not first team players so they were coming into the squad as part of that that youth development side of things rather than part of the first team squad I do think that will change for Alex Lowry next season very much going by how Michael Beale is talking I guess the reason that or the fact that we are so tight to the to the minimum quota for UEFA competitions is part of the part of the driver behind the Ryan Porteous rumours that we've seen over over recent weeks and the the, the almost realization that we do need to continue to buy Scottish players and buy almost continue to buy up the, the young Scottish talent that's that's taking place. We've seen players like Gois Ferguson. Um, who was rumoured to potentially be of interest to us. We've seen Josh Doig as well. Another one, these are the players that in the past Rangers would have would have snapped up. I get that we we sometimes uh, bulk at the, the fees that teams like Aberdeen and Hibs try and extract from us, but it's almost becoming a, a necessity for us to get players like that going forward. Do you think we will see us, and I think Michael Beale actually said in his comments that we will be Looking closer to home from a transfer perspective, do you do you see that being a key part of our transfer business over the next over the January transfer window, moving into the summer transfer window? I think we can see the start of it in the summer. I think we recruited a lot of younger players for the B team from a lot of academies throughout the country. I think, like you said, I'm sure. I don't know if it's been the restrictions have went up this year, but I know as the years go on, I think UEFA are kind of planning on up in the restrictions even further so to obviously encourage that development of youth academy players and kind of players in the country and like you talk about Ferguson and Doig I think those were massive missed opportunities and I think as supporters we kind of see it now like there's not players of that quality I don't think currently in the SPFL that would kind of meet that quota like I've seen earlier on there was rumours about us going for Bacchus from St Mirren but he obviously doesn't fit he doesn't fit anything like that. He's came from Australia. He doesn't fit being trained in the country or being trained at any club. So it's now looking at who you can go for now because we've missed out. Obviously, Calvin Ramsey also went to Liverpool. So there's been a few players that have kind of slipped through that like were really top talents at the club and obviously could have helped Rangers going forward, but we've missed those guys. So it's looking at the next players coming through. Like if they're not at Rangers currently, someone like Alex Lowry, I think it's going to be a phenomenal player in the future but I think I don't think Charlie McCann can I don't think because of his age and because he was the Man United academy actually found this out through football manager because I originally brought in Charlie McCann with the idea of him being club trained but by the time he hit 19 he doesn't even qualify for being trained in Scotland so he's just another youngster obviously something that we're not kind of looking at now so you now need to look at who in the B team is good enough and there's there's players that aren't good enough looking at again like we've done in the summer going through kind of clubs in Scotland getting the best from their youth academies and even looking at first team players so it has to be playing the league obviously there's there were rumours about Portis that he's kind of put to bed and I think fans are obviously very split on not only his 
ability, but kind of the personality you want to bring into the club. But it's players like him that we're going to need. We're going to need them soon. Like you said, it's going to be a necessity. It's not a case of we'll just go go to a country in Europe and get someone like Raskin in a free transfer. It's going to be, oh, we don't need this quota. We need to go and get someone from Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs. Like it's, it is going to be a necessity soon. So I think we need to kind of get ahead of that sooner rather than later and start bringing through players that will be academy trained for Rangers. Because obviously those guys tick both boxes. Like if you click, tick the box for club trained, you obviously tick the box for being trained in the nation. So it's focusing on those players that are here already, getting players in that could kind of hit that quota and then players that are already good enough for first team level. And Michael Beals obviously came out and said that they are going to look at Scottish talent. But I think in the SPFL now it's a bit thin. Like I said, we've missed the boat on a couple of players, but we definitely need to be looking at that going forward. I know we always talk about expanding your scouting range, but there's only so many players you can do that with. And we now need to look at those players that are homegrown, that are at the club already, or players that are maybe going under the radar in Scotland and try to get them before again we get extorted for massive fees from the club that's clubs that are in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul McGarrigo brings up a point which I've heard discussed in the previously um, in other platforms, but I'm not sure the exact detail of it. I think from next season, I believe it is, Paul, that um, English clubs can no longer buy under-18 players from foreign leagues. Um, I believe it's some Brexit-related um, EU employment law discrepancy that means that it can no longer happen. So that automatically, you would imagine, mean they turn their attention to the best young players in Scotland. Rangers has one of the best academies in Scotland, if not the best. And you'd imagine that Rangers will be one of the first ports of call for for the bigger teams um, and potentially not even the bigger teams. Some of the teams wore down in the Premier League and top of the Championship will also come looking for, for those kind of players. I think it's important that we're able to develop these players and we almost... Like you, I think like you said earlier on, I don't know if you used the word stockpiled youth talent earlier, um, in terms of the summer, but I felt I almost felt like that's what we were doing in, in terms of getting as much of the best young talent as we could find, putting them in the B team and hopefully starting their development from there. Um, we signed a lot of, of young players at that stage. Do you actually see us recruiting young players and, and young talented, even young talented Scottish players becoming increasingly difficult with this new with this new law coming in place? I mean, there's a massive potential for it. We've seen it, obviously, with Rory. Rory Wilson went to Villa. I mean, Villa, obviously, despite Gerard being there and their fans argue about their history, like they're not one of the big English sides. But we've also seen it with, I can't remember which Embudi brother it was that went to City. And then, oh, I can't remember the guy's name that went to Derby, Malcolm. I'm not sure how to say his surname, but he ended up going to Palace as well after a few first-team games with Derby. Like, it's already been happening. So the fact that we now, like you said, we do need to stockpile these young talents because we need to hope that at some point these guys are going to come through and they're going to be good enough for the first team. It's obviously not saying we have to have a full first 11 of Scottish players, but... When there's a quota there, like you need to, you need the guys to be good enough. You can't just like have them there for ticking a box. They need to be able to contribute because there's going to be a point where we can't just go around Europe and just pick up like cheap players and hope that they're going to turn out good. It's going to have to be young Scottish players. So it's it's going to be massive for Scottish football in general. So obviously, Celtic are going to have to do the same. Other clubs in Scotland that are in Europe are going to have to do the same. So it's going to be competitive with other clubs that are around. Obviously, clubs that are smaller than Rangers and Celtic can offer first-team football quicker. That might appeal to young Scottish players. Then if the big English sides are going to come in as well, there's going to be more competition. So I think we need to get like push ourselves ahead like we did do it in the summer. But it's going to have to be something that's just constant recruiting of the best young players and just try to develop them and try to push them through into the first team because... They're guys we're going to need. It's going to be a case of you obviously see it. Teams have been like have been kicked out of competitions, have lost games for not being able to hit kind of restrictions. So we need 
these players to come through. We need to take a gamble on players and hope that they develop and hopefully they'll be good enough for the first team soon enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll see more and more of that playing into our transfer strategy over the over the next couple of transfer windows. Kai, we're now almost two weeks exactly until the 1st of January, um, a scary thought, but that also signals the start of the January transfer window. Um, can I, I'm going to split this into, into three parts. The first one of those um, is what areas do you think we need to strengthen? Um, and then the second part of the question is what areas do you think we will actually strengthen? Um, I think in the in the summer there was a desire for us to to strengthen in the midfield area. I think there was the the um, there was the discussion ongoing about too many of our players were um, were too they'd been around for too long and they were getting on a bit. Like so Steve Davis, Scott Arfield, even Ryan Jack being injury prone to an extent um, was in there, and Glenn Kamara wasn't in the best of form either at that stage. I think there was talk of a right winger that we never never kind of materialised as part of that summer transfer window. And then obviously we've got the goalkeeper situation as well. Al McGregor's still pulling off great saves as we saw the other night, but he's not gonna I don't I I hope he's not going to go on past the end of this season. And I think we do need to definitely start planning ahead for that one. I think we saw at the start of the season John McLaughlin is not the answer to that. So it'll be interesting to see how how that one develops as well. So if you can start off by saying what areas you think we need to strengthen in and then um, go on to kind of the areas you, th- you think the club will actually make moves on. I think 100% agree. I think the goalkeeper's the biggest position. But then again, with Bill coming in, we don't know if he maybe has the faith in McCrory. He maybe wasn't bold enough his first game to kind of take McGregor out. But obviously, the game, the old firm game that Bill was left in charge, obviously, with Gerard in the house. McCrory played that game with a clean sheet and then he's not really been seen again. Beale's maybe seen enough from that time, seen enough from him in training that he thinks this is a guy. Again, like we were speaking about earlier, he's trained by the club. He ticks that box. We've seen he's talented. He's just not been given the chance to this point. So I think it depends on maybe how Beale sees the situation. I don't know, again, what's going to happen with McGregor. I'm in the exact same boat as you. Like I'd be happy for him to kind of go this year and kind of retire at that stage at the club, leave a legend and just leave it at that. But I think goalkeeper, probably the main position for me. But then again, like I said, I don't know how Michael Beale's feeling about the McCrory situation. He might have full faith in him once McGregor goes, if he goes, that he can step in. I think looking at the team the other night, I would have still said a right winger, but I now don't know if that's going to be a position in the Beale system. If it's going to be the two strikers with the kind of three Roman, kind of Ryan Kent in behind, and then the three central midfielders, if that's going to be the case, then you obviously don't need. There are right wingers that are there, but they obviously don't fit into the mix. Again, like in the summer, a, a number eight was obviously kind of the thing that was rumoured and was floated about, and there was a few names like we've obviously just seen. We spoke about it in the group chat of Ander, who was rumoured in the summer, just went to the MLS for like. $10 million or something something crazy. I don't know what we were quoted in the summer, but again, I think it was the guy, Phil Gini as well, that was at, played for the club in France that went to the Mainz. I think that was quite a bit of money he went for, but I think a player, but then again, I don't know if we need that player now, because if he's going to use someone like Tillman in that position, then Lawrence is going to come back. Is that where he's going to play Hadji, or is he going to give Hadji more of the Kent role and then move Kent further forward to play as like a second striker to play off a Cholak or Morelos. So I still think they really always, it's really tough because it depends on if Michael Beale's set on the system he went out with against Hibs because that completely changes the need for a right winger, which if he goes back to wingers, I would argue we need one. And then again for the number eight position, if he's going to use, have someone kind of sitting a bit deeper and then having players like Kamara, Lawrence, Tillman, Hadji that can carry the ball if he's going to use those guys in that position then I think you're kind of wasting wasting a bit of money because to bring in the kind of number eight that fans are kind of clamouring for, you're wanting someone that provides goals and assists and those guys aren't going to be cheap. But if you've got someone, if Hadji's going to come back and 
kind of play the way he played the season we won the league, then that takes that completely out of the equation. But the only thing, like in regards to what I think the club will actually do, the only rumours I've really seen have been three central midfielders. So the first one was obviously the Raskin rumours came about again. I think those are quite strong rumours. And then again, with them being banished to the under-21s to train, I think they're really trying to get him out the door quick. So I think if you want a quick and painless transfer, they might go for Raskin. Seen rumours of, was it the young Angolan midfielder in Portugal? The Bragger yeah. also supposed to be looking at. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, sorry. And then again, like I seen today, there was rumours of Bacchus from St Minnan, obviously had a decent World Cup from Australia. Like I've not seen much apart from playing against Rangers. And he did he did look quite impressive, quite a tidy player, but I don't know if it's the type of player we should be focusing on bringing in, but it seems to be that the club are looking at central midfielders and that obviously plays into the likes of Jack and Arfield and Davis's deals all being up. So it looks like they're trying to bolster that area just for whatever happens in the summer. But because that's all I've seen rumour-wise, that's maybe all I can see the club doing. Again, depends on all the contract situations and the system that Bill settles on. If he settles on this system, then there's not going to be any right-wingers brought in. But I think they will definitely bolster the midfield, whether that's Raskin, or anybody else, I think they'll be a bit of movement in the middle of the park. But that's probably all I can see see being done in this window. Yeah, I think it was a really interesting point you made about the absence of a right winger on Thursday night against Hibs. And it will be really interesting to see how Beal kind of fits the likes of Tom Warren, Smalik Tillman, Yanis Hadji, Ryan Kent all into the same the same kind of system. They're obviously not all going to play in the same in the same games, but it'll be interesting to see how he manages that playing time and what he asks from each of those players. Um, Scott Cameron says right and left sided uh, number eights who have a goal threat plus a quality six middle of the park needed upgrading has done for years. I think that feeds into, like you say, where the the current transfer rumours are are kind of placing the players we're looking at, and obviously with the likes of Arfield Davis coming. With their, with their one-year extensions coming to an end in the summer again. And then you've got the Ryan Jack conversation that like we had about earlier as well. be interesting to see how that overhaul kind of takes place. Um, Kai, just before we finish up, I just wanted to get your thoughts actually on the comments Michael Beale made after the Hibs game regarding Yanis Hadji and his contract extension. Um, kind of came across as though he said no one in the club had a clue when Yanis Hadji's contract uh, was going to end and it was completely by chance that we realised it was um, in six months' time. From what I understood, Yanis Hadji's, and from what the media said, Yanis Hadji's contract actually ran to 2024, not the end of 2023. And you'd imagine that was Yanis Hadji's contract coming up at the end of the summer, his agent would have been knocking on the door well before now, looking to sign, sign him up on a, on a new deal. Did do you think it was a Michael Beale's comments must have been a bit misconstrued, or do you think that that was actually the case? I think there's definitely been a misunderstanding somewhere because, like you said, if his contract was up in the summer, especially coming back off that injury, like I think the interest would maybe kind of die down a wee bit because the clubs that might have been interested in them before might be like, well, you don't know what you're getting coming back from like that length of injury. Like it will be what like 10, 11 months probably by the time he's came back, he'll have been out. So we have no idea if we're getting the same player. I know there's obviously, I think some fans were a bit confused by the extension because we obviously all thought it was 2024 and assumed it would be like a Ryan Jack that was getting the extension when it was announced. So I think there's definitely been a miscommunication there because, again, 100%, like you said, the agent would have been banging the door down at Ibrox and been like, we need this new contract because potentially isn't going to be the clubs lining up that there would have been. I know there's obviously been rumoured interest in Hadji before, and I think, again, kind of the same way I feel about Ryan Kent. Like, on his day, he's a technically incredibly gifted player and a player that probably suits, like, Kamara, like, maybe going to Italy or going to Spain, he maybe suits that kind of system more. And I've always said, like, he's one of those players that we will, I think we will make a profit on. But I think the club that buys him from Rangers are then going to make a big profit on him because I think there's potential there and a player that's that creative a player that can use both feet but does that 
does that player come back? Again, we don't know. I think the contracts the contracts are risk because of that. Because with an injury being out for that length of time, you don't know if he's lost. He's not the quickest player in general. He doesn't have that kind of explosiveness that certain players do have. So to lose even more of that might kind of hinder him as a player. You have to play his game different and you just don't know how that's going to go. So I think it's really interesting that he's gave him the new deal. He obviously had an amazing season the year we won the league. Like really, really good numbers, really impressive performances. Again, games taken by the scruff of the neck, like the game against Braga. It's just, I think it's interesting that Beal has the confidence that he's obviously going to come back and be able to contribute the way he wants him to. So I think that's kind of, I kind of managed to drown out the, was his contract up in six months type of thing and kind of more focus on, well, it's, like it's a massive move, it's a massive risk for Rangers to give give him a new deal on top of what he already has when he's coming back from an injury. So I think that's where the interest in it comes from me and it shows, like in my opinion, how big a fan Michael Beal is and how much he thinks he can kind of contribute. And I think as soon as he's fit, I think he's potentially going to be one of the first names in the team sheet. Yeah, I think it was, um, I think it's really interesting Yanis Hadji won because I actually think he's a player that no matter what we do or how he plays, we will make a profit on him. Um, purely because of, almost because of who his dad is, effectively, and the the promise that he that he held or has held, or the um, the level of respect that's held for Yanis Hadji and Turkey especially. I don't think there's ever any danger that should Yanis Hadji say, right, I've I'm enjoying my time at Rangers, but it's time for a new challenge. I don't think there's any danger that he will end up at a Galatasaray or someone along those kind of lines or somewhere in Italy potentially with and if you if you put we bought him for four three and a half million pounds, I think you easily get that back if you, as long as Janice had his under contract. And that's probably the calculated risk that the the club the club would take um when they've offered them this new contract. And um I imagine that's where the the sort of theory or the 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 legitimization of offering a new contract has come from and that actually we bought him for three and a half million pounds if he signs a new contract and it works out then great but if it doesn't work out then he won't be short of suitors anyway to to buy him and and because they'll believe in his, his quality as well um one final point before we before we sign off um which actually kind of surprised me a wee bit but maybe feeds into the Alfredo Morelos discussion we had earlier. Dougie here saying, uh, I'd look at two strikers before I looked at goalkeepers. McGregor's on limited time, but strikers is urgent. I don't really see strikers as being that urgent at this moment in time. I think in the summer it will be urgent, but not for January. What's your view on that? I think going by the team that Bill put out the other night, he obviously considers Sakala as a striker. So if you're looking at that and you have... Morelos, Cholak, Sakala, and then hopefully Roof coming back. So I think you do have like there's quality options there. Like despite the kind of issues we've had with Roof keeping him fit, when you look at his numbers, like he's got a really good goal scoring record at Rangers. And again, Sakala's capable, like a great finish the other night. He's so frustrating. And I think every fan kind of feels that. Like he's got a moment of brilliance in him and then the next three times he's on the ball, he'll fall over it and he's just He's frustrating, but again, like the numbers are good. I think you've got four players there that can contribute as much as that. And then I don't know if with the system he's playing, if he considers players like Wright and Matondo as kind of like second strikers, or if when they play, they'd play in the position Kent played the other night. But I think if you're looking at the way he used Sakala, I think he might use the other wingers that way. And I think we've got plenty of options there, and hopefully some of them can contribute more goals. And it's not just relying on Cholak or relying on. Sakala, but again, like like you said in the summer, I'd maybe make it more of a focus, but I don't think it has to be the focus of the January window. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that one. I think it was um, Antonio Cholak started off on fire. It'll be interesting to see how he adapts to Michael Beale's system. There's, I think a lot of people kind of suggest Alfredo Morelos is better suited than Antonio Cholak, but the um the accuracy and the deadliness with which Antonio Cholak is able to finish chances in the box always makes him a threat no matter what system he's playing in. So it'll be interesting to see how 
how that works. And then you've obviously got the likes of Kamar Roof as well, potentially coming back, although we know his injury record may not be back for that long. But you, you can always hope, I guess, that he is able to make a, a contribution from that perspective as well. I think we'll tie it up there, Kai. We've gone well over the, the hour um, for this evening, but it's been a good good discussion. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. It's a pleasure as always, Craig. Perfect. And it's a, a thank you very much to everyone for listening as well and for all the comments. Please make sure to like the video um, if you've if you've enjoyed the content. And also remember to subscribe to the TII YouTube channel, toggle on those notifications, and you'll get an email every single time we go live. Um, we're also found across all the, the usual social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can find us on all the usual podcast platforms as well, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, and many others that I can't remember off the top of my head because it's a long, long list. Um, so please look out for us there as well, and you'll be able to listen to us on the move and just and not just live on YouTube or the, the um, listen back to the recorded version. So as I said, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I am back presenting tomorrow night for the Monday Bulletin when we'll be looking ahead to the Aberdeen game. We'll be live at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, so please make sure to join us then as we look ahead to another big game for Rangers. But until then, goodbye. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.